the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of Boys, there's only 
<laughs> I told you, John, they're an acquired taste. It's the first time the Dudley Boys ever been called to Salter. All right, let's get it going right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to the flagship two-man power trip of wrestling podcast on the TMPT Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only JP John Paz. And today, we want to welcome in for the very first time our brand new sponsor, Manscaped, who we're going to tell you about a little bit later on in the show, how you can save 20% by getting your first purchase from Manscaped through the two-man power trip of wrestling, and just exactly how Manscaped is the number one men's below-the-belt grooming uh, connoisseurs, the best in the business, if you will, when it comes to your manscaping needs. But as I welcome JP in here today, we are absolutely thrilled to uh, be joined by a bona fide G and a certified stud, making his uh, TMPT debut on the, the flagship show, Enzo Amore joining us uh, a few weeks after he was on with Francine, and we got to see a different side of Enzo. We got to see the very serious and, and absolutely uh, focused side of Enzo talking about Big Cass and his issues. John gets to sit down with Enzo here and kind of cut a rug about some other things going on in the world of uh, the real one. So, John, as I welcome you in here now, you know, kind of talk about what this interview uh, had in terms of its content, but also like what you expected going into this interview with Enzo. With Enzo, you never really know what you're going to get, right? It seemed like he's a certain character. Everyone says he's a certain way. You know, he's like the big asshole on TV. People don't like him. People disrespecting him. So, you know, he in turn gives everybody else disrespect and a poor attitude. But you know what? All of that doesn't seem to be so true. It almost seemed like everyone got tricked by his character. And because he's an asshole of a character and he's playing a villain, he's playing the heel, that a lot of people really think that that's the way he is in real life. And that's his true life person. And that can't be further from the truth. What I got out of this and what I got from him was, wow, what a nice guy. He was the complete opposite of, of what I've been told or what I was expecting just from what I've heard. So that just shows you, you can't always believe everything you read and, and hear from these people because they don't really know the true him. And he's kind of a throwback because that's old school. He really plays the heel through and through, not too many characters really do that anymore. I mean, you got guys on TV that were playing heels that were trying to sell shirts and they're trying to get over and they're trying to get cheered. And that's not a heel. He, what he was doing was being a true blue old school heel, trying to get booed, trying to be hated, trying to make sure the other guy gets over, you know, really, really trying to make sure that, you know, he got booed out of the building basically. And it worked uh, most of the time. So I just feel like he was completely different than what I was basically led to believe or what my assumptions were. So that's why you basically, you never assume then that, that old adage is definitely true. Yeah, absolutely true. And this is a guy who, I mean, was really, I mean, just getting under the skin of some of the more old school, traditional fans, you know, present company included, but that meant he was doing that job excellently. Well, uh, but I guess kind of as the years would go on and he'd 
kind of amassed this just amazing backstage heat. You know, it kind of seems like as we look past the uh, the curtain, you know, Enzo really is just a guy who wants to make the business better, and he wants to to contribute something. And he talks about his mentorship with Dusty Rhodes and how close uh, he was with Dusty and how Dusty inspired him. And even though I don't see some of the personality being the same way, I think you could see some glimpses of the dream, you know, in the uh, in the Enzo persona, so to speak. Uh, John, would you agree with uh, with that point? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, there's that's definitely uh, for sure. But with him, he kind of you know turns it up another notch. Like he says, he spent so much time writing and, and developing the character and thinking of ways to speak or say certain words and be different and not curse and do all these other different things that he really went above and beyond it. The real one, Enzo, the realest guy in the room, that whole thing. Really, everything was well thought out. And it's funny because he said in the interview, and you really think about it, guys that are at the gym all the time, you see them, you're like, okay, that guy works out a lot. He's at the gym a lot. What he was doing behind the scenes and basically writing all this stuff and tearing it up and writing it over and doing, you know, just doing something to be completely different, you don't see that. It doesn't come up. So people are like, oh, well, you know, what is he up to? He's not this huge jack guy. He must be lazy or he must not be doing this. Well, he was spending hours and hours with his mind writing stuff and developing stuff and trying to create this character that was completely different and completely out there. And guess what? It worked. People may not have seen it on the surface, but if you understand the character and understand him, it worked 100%. And what he did was completely different and unique from anything else you've seen out there. And in this interview, we really go in depth. This is one of the longer interviews I've ever heard him do. So we get to talk about a lot of different subjects that you may not have heard anywhere else. What do you think plays into it with also kind of like, you know, where he's from? And obviously that's that that's our department. That's the New Jersey stigma. Do you think any of that played into it, too, that people think New Jersey, they think the Northeast. So they obviously think somebody colorful like him. You just are an asshole. And you think that that basically you're kind of starting from behind anyway, if you show any sort of confidence or any kind of swagger. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's not really, I would say, just New Jersey, definitely New York as well. So it's like that New Jersey, New York attitude and Staten Island, Long Island, you know, like that kind of thing. It's just people just kind of grow to hate it. And they're like, oh, they must be cocky. Oh, they must be this, must be that. Not always true. And obviously, in this case, definitely couldn't be further from the truth. But that definitely plays a role in it. And I feel like, unfortunately, you got to live with that. But I think with him, which he, I think he did a good job of almost building it up and making the people hate him even more for it. Like there was already built in false stereotype. So might as well just keep it going and, and just expound upon it and make it even bigger. And he did a really good job of doing that. But with, with him and that character, I just thought it was so good and so old school and him playing that heel up when the guys just don't do that anymore. It was just so cool. But he does get into a lot of other different kind of, uh, let's just say, categories or different topics of conversation. And I think that just by kind of opening him up, talking about that character and opening him up, talking about how he was old school to the bone, but that's not really truly who he is. I feel like that opened up a whole new ballgame in this interview. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, we probably could name about 10 people off the top of our heads that remind us of Enzo (laughs) (laughs) from from back home. So uh, (laughs) that's why I say the nuclear heat 
um, that he could get from the fans uh, across the world uh, kind of comes all the way back to that little garden state there. Um, but Enzo, yeah, obviously, you know, changing the perception of some people. I mean, like I said, uh, when I talked to him with Francine a few weeks back, just floored by uh, just the serious nature of the conversation and, and the wanting to help out his tag team partner, Big Cass. And before we wrap it up and get in to the interview, you know, talk about quickly, if you can, the connection he has with Big Cass and kind of how, you know, their breaking up was really a, a huge thing for both of them one because it started the beginning of the end for Enzo and really Cass would get hurt and it would kind of start the beginning of the end for him so separated these guys uh, didn't have the the best of runs um, in the terms of the solo career but together you know love him or hate him they did make a pretty damn good team together it is a great story you think about it, they were friends for a long time then they almost somewhat, even on TV, broke apart. But in real life, they really broke apart. And he said he didn't talk to him for about a year or 18 months. They just, you know, they broke apart. They kind of uh, were believing the the hype of, of this kind of world that these fans create and how Enzo is such an asshole. And then I'm sure he's hearing it from some fans and some people and some rumors that Big Cass is an asshole. So, you know, sometimes you're just around somebody so much, you just grow apart. But with Cass having this big fall and Cass kind of trying to build himself back up through all the addictions and all the problems he's been having and the DDP yoga and Donnie Dallas Page helping him out down in Atlanta. I feel like Enzo and him, obviously, if you if you, you know, follow anything with these two, they've reconnected and they're back being best buds again, which is great. But I feel like it is great that Enzo is helping him get up after he fell in. And this isn't the end for him. This isn't the end for the relationship. And that there's a lot more to these two than kind of just that WWF run, the WWE run. They will be back and bigger than ever. And they got so much more on their plate. And they got so many other big things happening. I feel like whenever you get those two together, it is definitely two big names on the marquee. And it's definitely going to be something exciting to look out for. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into the, uh, the wrap up here. And get on our way to the uh, the real one, the Enzo Amore interview here on the flagship show, the TMPT interview podcast every single Tuesday. Want to remind you to head on over to TMPTEmpire.com and get all the podcast information about the shows under our umbrella to include Eyes Up Here with Francine, the J.J. Dillon podcast, and over on the Russo brand, the Triple Threat podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas. A lot of content, a lot of podcasts getting out there on a weekly basis, and we hope that you join us. Uh, and stay tuned because we got a brand new TMPT business coming your way here in just a couple of seconds. So uh, let's wrap it up here nice, and let's get it out and over to the real one, Enzo Amore. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Michaels, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Automatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. T 
tmptempire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, without any further ado, a two-time WWE Cruiserweight Champion, he is of course a former WWE and NXT superstar. You may know him as the real one or the realest guy in the room. He is Enzo Amore, a.k.a. Just Enzo. Enjoy. Off your sloppy, they calling me poppy. I'm rolling in bands, you riding around, and I'll beat up July. Hey, dog, pros want to cop, but they are just not on way. I'm up in the club, stacking the dubs, and stuck in a lot. I'm hot like sauce, you soft like balsa. You ain't heard of me? Well, you probably are. Ask about nice to me, so good to see. Pros want to act hard, they need to take it easy. A former two-time WWE Cruiserweight Champion. Of course, he's a former WWE and NXT Superstar. You may know him as the real one, the realest guy in the room, Enzo Mori, a.k.a. Enzo. Welcome to the two-man power trip. How you doing, man? That was a pretty good intro, bro. You got to go. You got it all covered there. <laughs> not, not bad at all. And, of course, talking to you, you being the realest guy in the room, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that sometimes – you could play a character in that, you know, you're almost more old school than they realize. What kind of, what is up in your world and how have you been? Um, I'm amazing. Uh, you know, as been well publicized, uh, you know, my other half of free agency, Enzo and Kaz XL, you know, formerly known as Big Cass, uh, recently went through, uh, you know, a very open struggle with depression, anxiety, and addiction. And through that process, he's inspired a lot of people to, uh, you know, reach out and ask for help. And, and uh, you know, at this point, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't see, uh, you know, if you would have told me a year ago, what I, you know, would I be talking to Big Cass? I would have told you no. So uh, to see, uh, you know, where life has taken me as a professional, uh, as a human, and and more importantly as a friend, uh, has has been one in, one. Wild, wild roller coaster ride uh, since my departure uh, from the WWE in 2018, um, and you know since then I've had uh, an, an amazing opportunity through the support of fans uh, on the internet and across the board, uh, wrestling fans and music fans alike, to continue to entertain people and not be tied down uh, to you know what I'm what what my options are and where I want to go and, and, and the things that I'd like to achieve in my life um, as a writer, you know, more than a, more than a pro wrestler, but I, but I do appreciate uh, the business and pro wrestling. And uh, I think that, you know, being a writer and being a wrestler was the perfect combination for me in life. And I don't know that music will ever <laughs> amount to the uh, opportunities I had in the WWE. And, but uh, I know that, 
pro wrestling isn't exactly over for me either, and and I'm truly intrigued and enthralled uh, by the rejuvenation process that it's seen recently, um, and and it's been it's been exciting, and I've watched some of my friends do it, and uh, one of my mo's now is to see through the process of getting big casts who's battling these uh, depression, anxiety, and addiction issues. Uh, back on his feet and, and back in the best shape of his life in a wrestling ring. And we got there. We nearly got there, you know. And that's what I think that, uh, you know, so many people uh, misconceptions are, you know, that, that, that just because you fall um, and you go through a process of trying to inspire people doesn't mean that you can't fall again because you can still get up from that one too. So uh, it, it's, been, it's been a process for him. He's getting a ton of prayers, a ton of thoughts. People are sending over to the WWE. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> the WWE, you know, has has a hand in helping Big Cass getting back on his feet uh, through their doctors. But uh, they're sending their letters to the Performance Center, the DDP Yoga Performance Center, that is uh, of no affiliation to the WWE whatsoever. And DDP has been an instrumental part, uh, you know, in telling Big Cass's story and trying to help him, you know, get to a place through mental health where. Uh, you know, we we can all see him in the best uh, in the best place that he could be mentally, physically, and 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 you know, uh, employment wise. And it's interesting. You kind of said if you said it a year ago, you didn't think you'd be friends. What what happened? What was the kind of the the rift between you guys? Uh, I think that you know, as a, as a five year run, best friends, roommates, um, you know, uh, these things were. You know, they're, they're the inevitable that people grow either apart or the business kind of makes you, you know, uh, not as close as you once were as friends. Because once we got on the road and he had a girlfriend and, you know, I had I was in a relationship and then I was single and, you know, he was single. And, and it was just, you know, it's a lot to take in when you're on the road for the first time, 300 days in a year, having the success that we had working in front of the crowds that we were uh, blessed enough to work in front of and the, and the people that we worked with and the pressure. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all consuming. And sometimes the wrestling business in and of itself um, can consume you. And I think that's what it did to the both of us that a friendship uh, became secondary to working for a company um, you know, and, and, and I don't think that wrestling is ever going to define me or him. I just hope that, uh, you know, that, that other people that are in that alpha-driven environment, that, that WWE locker room or pro wrestling locker room in general, that they never lose sight of, you know, who their real friends are and that the business, you know, should be second to humility and humanity. Because when Big Cass tore his ACL in the Barclays Center, you know, I wanted him to finish the match. The referee told him to stop. He was getting told to stop from the producers backstage. They were relaying these things on, uh, you know, through through the referee. And while I was in the ring, you know, I thought he should finish the match at that time, not realizing that, you know, he tore his ACL, A. B, he's going through some serious mental health issues that I'm unaware of. So, I mean, I look back at life, and I'm, and I'm so blessed with the opportunity. It's been crazy. The people I've gotten to engage with, meet with, perform with, and, you know, just uh, shoot the breeze with, honestly. So with, with Big Cast, you know, um, this, this world that we were in, 
uh, you know, it could consume you. And I, I wanted to finish the match, and I, and I said some things that I shouldn't have said, and I didn't mean. Um, and essentially, you know, I had no idea what he was going through, and that's what it boils down to. That whether you're in a pro wrestling locker room or whether you're in an office space or you're working at the grocery store, you know, you just never know what somebody's going through. So, uh, you know, people struggle with mental health and depression and things like that. And in the world of pro wrestling, in an alpha-driven environment of tough guy, machismo, so to say, you know, I I just, uh, you know, I let that world consume me in essence. And, um, you know, I should have put my pride aside and thought about a man's health and, and mental health uh, that I was unaware of, honestly. But, you know, I should have thought about that as opposed to finishing a wrestling match. And being on the road and, and injuries happen and different things like that, is that just a t- kind of a terrible mix as far as getting better and, and, you know, not really drinking and getting off the field? Is that just a horrible combination? Road, injury, and then got to get Ooh, back? It's tough, baby. It's tough. Here's what I know, you know what I mean? Uh, when you're traveling on the road and you're seven foot tall, let's just say, and you got a 21 hour flight and you're driving and you're flying coach because let's just face it, they ain't putting you up in first class and you're flying international and you're a big guy, whether you're, you know, uh, you know, some of these guys that I would look around and I would just see them flying and coach with me and they're giant humans. And I would just say, damn, like that's rough. And obviously we're going to drink on this flight because that's going to make it a little bit easier. Um, and with the WWE drug testing policy and, and you're fortunate so that you don't, um, you know, have to have to take pills anymore. You know, back in the day, guys were taking pills and get prescriptions and getting addicted to these things. Uh, you know, when they were just trying to make it a 20 hours on a flight and have a wrestling match with a, you know, with a broken back, you know what I mean? Nowadays, the same pressures apply minus the pills. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yep. A lot of wrestlers fall victim to the bottle. And I'm a little guy. I'm blessed. You know, travel wasn't too much. I, I had nothing to complain about. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, I could I could sit in the, in the you know, in, in an airplane bathroom, no problem. You know what I'm saying? These Some of these guys ain't even getting in an airplane bathroom, bro. So, you know, I, I saw – what it can do to somebody, how they can become uh, addicted to the bottle when, when you don't even see it coming. And that life is tough, man. Mentally, physically, on the road, the world that they make it, they constantly say, um, you know, they constantly say in the wrestling business, uh, learn to play the game. That's a backstage moniker. Uh, learn to play the game. And my thing was, why? What game? I'm not trying to politic. Uh, or put that pressure on myself to people, please, if I know in my heart of hearts that I'm a good person and I want to entertain children and fans alike. And, you know, wrestling isn't necessarily, you know, real. I mean, the the, the bruises, the bumps, the, all that stuff's real. But, you know, you, you know the, the, the mental game, it's real. But, but the, the outcome is predetermined. And it's, 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 it's a rough, rough world when, the outcomes are predetermined, and that time on television, uh, you know, equates to dollars in your pocket, uh, action figure sales, uh, video game covers. Uh, you know, it's 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 a dog eat dog world, and people want to, you know, uh, you know, they want they they, they want to prosper, and 
some people are willing to, you know, sell their soul and undercut other people to get through there. And it's a vicious game at times. And in my eyes, I always said, I'm not playing this game. And I was blessed uh, to have an incredible run where fans, uh, you know, would chant along with me. And, 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 you know, I had this incredible Santino gig and in essence for people who don't know who that is, you know, I had a song and dance, uh, entertainment role and i was happy 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 to do that um the pressure isn't as hard when you know you're in that position per se and you can enjoy the good times but then the pressure does get real in different times different scenarios different situations different storylines and you and, and wrestlemania comes around every year and the pressure's high and the travel's crazy and um i can i just say to myself as far as that game goes um you know you don't need to play it. You can just be yourself, you know, and that's what I would love to see more in the wrestling world and the locker rooms is less politics, more who the people want to see wrestle, give it to, give it to those guys in its purest form. But, you know, I'm also not running a multi-billion dollar business that has to account for, I can't even imagine how many storylines, angles, people, spotlight, you know, it's, it's a crazy thing they've started. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to be a Monday morning quarterback and look back and say, I would have did this, I would have did that different. But, you know, th- th- these people, uh, they're in a tough position and they're quarterback in this situation. So it, it's hard to look back and, it, for them, I'm sure, and say, you know, in, in, in the 90s, how, how all those things would come back to bite them in the butt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And with you, it's interesting because – you didn't really have much training or much wrestling experience prior to 2012, prior to getting into the WWE, you know, NXT and the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. Is that extra added pressure on you? That's like, wow, you know, I'm entering a whole new world here. Yeah, I think a lot of that pressure is certainly self-induced. I just think it's just like anybody else. If I gave you the opportunity off the street to go to the WWE and you're Enzo and you're, you know, let's just say you were a tenth like me and you told a few people you were going to do it. <laughs> you, you self-induced yourself into pressure right there because you don't want to look like a liar to anybody, um, you know, that you that you, you told you were going to be a pro wrestler and they'd see you in the WWE one day. So um, I went out there with a dream um, and an opportunity of a lifetime that a lot of other people just are not as, lucky to get and it's a stroke of luck uh mostly timing but opportunity for me is different for opportunities for others some people worked harder in different ways to get there me i went to college got two bachelor's degrees and played college football and had a chance opportunity to get a wwe tryout and and from there um you know just good timing, luck, uh, you know, you couldn't have asked to be in the WWE developmental system for, at a better time or a crazier time <laughs> or a more pressure-induced time. Um, where there was a lot of pressure when I was, uh, you know, coming in and, and trying to make it, but pressure can either first to five or make a dime, and I know you've heard me or other people say that before. Um, it, 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 it's going to make you or break you, and uh, I, I embraced it. I never felt like I was under pressure because there was no greater pressure throughout my entire career uh, than I put on myself. I was my own biggest critic, but the difference between me and other people was uh, when you're out in the crowd or you're another person, you don't know what my goals are when I go through the curtains. You don't know what my goals are uh, as
as a human and, and or the reactions that I'm trying to elicit. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pressure, but no greater pressure than the pressure I put on myself to try to be the best. And, and, and um, I don't think that anybody who's competitive um, should shy away from trying to achieve that one thing, and that is to be the best at something um, in the world. And I felt like uh, at the tail end of my cruiserweight run, literally up until the day I was fired, um, I became the best in the entire world at something that was indisputable. And that was, uh, you know, uh, something that I needed to prove to myself was, was, you know, say to myself, like, you can main event Monday Night Raw, you can main event, um, you know, your own tour with, with, with 205 Live, you can increase network buys and rating buys and do all these things and win a couple titles and wrestle the Hardy Boys at WrestleMania for the tag titles. And, and those are goals, okay, that I set for myself when I was young. And, and when you go out and you do those things, um, you, you, you don't realize it until you look back at it in retrospect uh, that there's just no such thing as a coincidence. Um, nothing is a coincidence. I got lucky many a time, but not many times was there a coincidence because it's a matter of opportunity meeting preparation. That's what luck is. And, and, uh, when I got into pro wrestling, I thought I was going to be a manager. I did not think I was going to be a pro wrestler. I didn't think I'd ever get that opportunity to get in the ring. Uh, I was blessed to have a tag team partner that was seven foot made up for things in areas I didn't. And, uh, I had the time of my life because when I thought I was going to be a manager, I just wrote. And when I say I wrote, I mean, I've written books about wrestling promos that, that, that you could stack, you know, seven feet tall. So I, I wrote promos all day, every day around the clock, like a television writer who was essentially writing. Uh, and I had something to say about every single person in that locker room. I could look at them and I could think of five jokes that I had written. So, I think that I didn't realize it. I was doing it. I just thought it was what I had to do because I didn't know what else to do. I never wrestled before in my life. The only thing that I could control was the persona I put on screen and the character that I put out. And I worked so hard on that character, Enzo Amore, um, writing countless promos as if I was him you know, over and over again. And, of course, there's a touch of Eric in, in Enzo Amore, and some people say we're one and the same. I think that some people need to get to know Eric a little bit more mm -hmm. behind the character. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the things that I had fun doing there, um, I didn't realize that because it was fun for me that I was working. Um, when you're out in the wrestling ring and you're having matches with guys like Dash and Dawson uh, and you're working a 1,000 miles an hour, and you're hitting the ropes, and you're running high spots, and you're doing dives, and Cass is tossing you, and you're and you're ducking punches, and they're ducking punches, transitioning in and out of wrestling moves, and you realize that there's a whole lot more money to be made uh, potentially um, as an entertainer uh, and less of a wrestler, and it'll save my back and my body. Uh, you break your leg in a wrestling ring. You say to yourself, well, if, if I have one leg, well, then that means that i got to learn how to wrestle on one leg, you know? And that's for a little while. And then you realize, oh, shit, if I can wrestle on one leg, why the hell would I use two? You know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just kind of realize that, um, you know, you can make a longer career for yourself and have a lot of fun. But 
you realize that nothing is a coincidence. Nobody that watches me wrestle and writes articles on the internet about television wrestling matches they've seen me have. There's only 52 Raws in a year. So if you saw me wrestle 30 times that year and maybe four times, five, six times on pay-per-view or something, that's 40 matches that you saw me out of the 150 that I had. You know, 200 matches. You're seeing 30 wrestling matches out of 200 and, and, and they're only wrestling matches against uh, certain people at storylines that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm handed a script and told what or how to do things. I think back to a time where I'm in the wrestling ring and, I, and, I, and I'm the first guy there at 530 in the morning every day and they have to kick me out because I'm, I'm going to stay there until they tell me I got to leave. And, and all the wrestling matches I had with 10 people standing around the ring or five people in a, on the apron that have come and gone in and out of you know the developmental system doors, and all the matches I had in NXT that were on the road, uh, and tag team matches and singles matches that people will never ever see, <laughs> and and the things that I did that I hurt myself doing that I'll never do again. You know, um, you, you prove it to yourself, and that's the onus that I think that I try to just put out there for other wrestlers, if I can inspire anyone um, to just, you know, if you're going to do it, man, you got to do it for you, you know, and, and forget what everybody's talking about because nobody knows you better than you. And, and this is something that, you know, I preach to big cast, my tag team partner, my best friend, you know, um, I just say, you know, like you can't, you get you're never going to be happy with the world or happy in a relationship until you're happy with yourself. So, a lot of my happiness now stems from the things that I was able to do in my lifetime and I'm young still and I still have so much more that I want to do, but I just know that nothing is a coincidence. And if you put the work in, in the places where other people potentially don't, or maybe don't see the vision, you know, everybody understands in pro wrestling, what a physique can do for you because physique is not a lie. If you're in the WWE and you're getting drug tested 12 times a year and I see Seth Rollins with six-pack abs and he looks good and he's doing CrossFit on TV and on his Instagram, we know that he's putting the work in. So people can respect that, okay? What's harder to explain to people, though, is character. Character is what you do when nobody's looking. What's harder to explain to people is when you're writing until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and you, don't, and you don't want to go to bed, but nobody's paying you to do that, but you know you're going to write that little jingle, that little jingle that 80,000 people are going to say. But nobody else knows that you're going to do it. You're just the only one that's convinced. But you have yourself convinced, and you believe in yourself so much that no one can tell you that you're not going to do it. But when you look at a book and it's got 10,000 pages, you know, let's just say, and there's one five-letter word, and it's S-A-W-F-T, soft. And I said it at the right moment, at the right time. It wasn't a coincidence. It worked because I put the work in. And I know it now, and I did not know it then. When I was in the WWE, I never got what I was worth. I never asked for a dollar, never asked for a raise. was happy to be there. Despite maybe preconceived notions, I was really happy to be there and I would have taken that job for free. <laughs> I was really, mm. really happy. 
So, um, you know, I wasn't worried about all these other things and, and how I, I was doing what I was doing or how I got there or what happened. You know, it's, it's through post-conversation in my career, having now been away from uh, WWE for two years and having done, you know, dozens and dozens of podcasts and had conversations on radio and in interviews that now I'm like, okay, I've talked about this enough for me to understand what happened, you know? Hey, let's pause one second to tell you about our brand new sponsor, Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Now, if it's just you and I talking here, there's only one sensitive area that you can never mess around with, and that's your balls. And I can tell you from experience, it is not fun when you nick the family jewels. With your legs up on the counter and holding your luck up to chance, don't be like your boy Chad. Do the smart thing, and that's buy from Manscaped using our promo code POWERTRIP. Not only do you get 20% off, but you get free shipping at Manscaped.com. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts, leaving you running for the door. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, so don't use the same trimmer that you use on your face that you'd use on your balls, because that is just plain nasty. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? So remember, head over to manscaped.com and get 20% off in free shipping by using the promo code POWERTRIP. Again, that's use the promo code POWERTRIP over at manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping. Always use the right tools for the job and your balls will thank you later. That's Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Absolutely, yeah. Said it perfectly there, and I love how you kind of mentioned it because I was going to mention it as well that they don't just let anybody main event Raws and try to carry a brand. And they say the brand is dead. What can they do? And then I throw a title on a guy, and it kind of revitalizes the brand like you did with Two Hundred Five Live. I mean, that's kind of a hard thing to do. Yeah, no, we went on the road. We did uh, the first ever cruiserweight tour. Took an entire yeah. group of guys on tour. Um, and, and, you know, that is once again, me proving to myself, you know, because before that, I, if I'm honest and everybody in the WWE will tell you this, I mean, I've main evented dozens, if not hundreds of NXT shows with big cast and tag team matches in six mans with me and Finn Balor and big cast, you know, and things like that. You know what I mean? But I never had a title and main evented a tour, um, that was for that title. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, that, and, and it was the first of its kind. And when it ended, <laughs> I mean, it, it couldn't have ended at a perfect time because on the 25th anniversary of Raw, uh, I had wrestled my last match the night before at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. And, uh, you know, we had pretty much a sold-out house, dude. I, I don't remember the number, but, uh, you know, and that was based off of the cruiserweights. And, and you know, me being, uh, you know, the champion and in the main event. So I just say to myself, when it was over, I had a, you know, a main event match for a title, took a brand on the road, and there's nothing left for me to prove to myself. Uh, you know, I know I can do it. So, you know, if you can do it once, you can do it again. So I, I just, I, I stepped away from the, the, the pressures of pro wrestling in the world that I was in um, not realizing, you know, like 
potentially how I was achieving certain things or why maybe people, um, you know, were having success around me, why people weren't or, or, you know, what was working and what wasn't and, and how lucky or fortunate I was timing took, uh, you know, shape in this situation for me more than anything, you know, like timing is a blessing and a curse, but for me, it's been the biggest blessing in my life because, uh, I got an opportunity uh, you know, to stand in a ring in NXT, and John Cena was backstage the night I debuted. He asked me to get in the ring. I spelt out soft with him. He repeated it. The crowd repeated it. But had it not been for John Cena that day being there asking me, had it not been the day that I debuted, had it not been the greatest crowd probably in the history of pro wrestling, and I am talking to that ECW Philadelphia crowd when I say it because the greatest crowd potentially in the history of pro wrestling is the NXT brand crowd and I will tell you why because they sit through four hours four and a half to five hours of television tapings and sold that arena out every night and not only did they do things for a guy like me by chanting my name is Enzo Amore along with me certified G the whole nine button it up with SAWFT sauce that is an Orlando crowd letting the world know who I am. And then I go over to England. And when I'm in England, they know who I am already. And the crowd's saying it with me. And when I show up in the WWE, the world already knows who I am. Why? Because of that NXT crowd, that Orlando crowd, that Florida crowd that would travel or the vacation people that would come in and want to be a part of it as well. You know, it was it's a special atmosphere. I don't know what it's like anymore, but I'm assuming because they got a television on, live tv now that that crowd is still lit <laughs> oh yeah that's uh, for sure they're definitely still into it definitely being a, you know a great crowd yeah i mean a lot of timing stuff. you know what i mean it's it's timing really it's timing like had i had not been there with that nxt crowd the night with john cena and then had the opportunity to work in front of those people when we were on the Hulu network and then it changed to the WWE network. Now the world is starting to see NXT. The world's starting to see us because of the WWE network. And then the world is starting to see, you know, us more, uh, you know, because um, NXT is starting to flourish and travel the world. So, I mean, I was there for that. I was there for the first time with big cast when it was, it was always us. Every time we went to a new country, first song, you heard everywhere around the world when NXT went there was Enzo and Cass. And we loved to have that, you know, spot. I mean, it was a fun spot. Just go out there. You know, it's, uh, it, it, is what you, it is what you make of it, though. And in the end, uh, we made the most of our opportunities. We were blessed with them. Um, worked with some incredible people. Had it not been for those people, we definitely wouldn't have been able to get where we got. And I am talking about, like, wrestlers that we got in the ring with and producers and, and agents and, and people who helped us, you know, because, I mean, it, it, you know, in essence, all you need is a wrestling ring and two guys to go out there and put on a show. But in the WWE, man, eh, it gets a little bit more complicated. And it's so weird, though, and the most complicating thing to me is, all right, this guy is getting over big time, he's, and he now he's becoming a great heel and getting over. But it, it was so weird, and, and the fans were so weird, and it was kind of taken so differently. This era of fans was like, I don't know if it was any other time period in, in essence, it would have been like, man, this guy is hated, but it, almost it's a good thing. Like Bobby the Brain, he didn't hate it, but it was a good thing. You know what I mean? It, like For some reason, this crowd then kind of morphs it into, oh, he's a heel, uh, you know, 
they got to get rid of him. He's a, he's a terrible heel. They don't understand the character and what being a heel and what that persona is all about, right? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like you definitely uh, as as a heel uh, living that life per se. You know, you could fall into some of the victim into some of the situations feeling like more of a reality than they are. You know, like if you're out in a nightclub and you got the title and you're, and you're fucking having a good time. You know what I mean? Like. That's more for fun and for, you know, you, TMZ comes out and, and whatever, blah, 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 you know. But I think that, that that stuff can be carried away, you know, in in, in essence, you know. Uh, I, I I had the time of my life as a heel. Um, I don't know if I ever came back to wrestling, if I would come back as a baby face. <laughs> it's just a lot easier to be a heel, if I'm being honest. And uh, being a baby face, man, I had uh, – a five-year run, dude, and I had no idea until it was done uh, how how ridiculous that actually is. Never switched uh, from day one. So my heel turn to me was just I was chopping at the bit for it mentally, but at the same time I was like, what is this going to do for me in my career? Is it going to, you know, is it going to ruin things? Like, and essentially, it's you know, it it did, but it kind of did because. You know, uh, when I got fired over an accusation, the world was seeing me as this heel and not as the baby face that, you know, was Eric. And, and they were saying things that were hurtful and mean and were untrue and, and saying things that were, you know, out of context. And and I just said to myself, damn, man, I really worked the world into a tizzy and I don't know if it's going to work in my favor. So rather than come out uh, for the first time after five months, uh, after I, you know, I, when I got fired, I just took off, went off the grid for like five months. And when I came back and reemerged, uh, 4,500 fans showed up in Times Square to come greet me. Um, and, and, you know, I appreciated that more than you'll ever know. I also dropped a music video. that night, And when I dropped the music video, it was, it was, it was a heel with a baby face message. If you were listening hard enough and, it was so big, it, it just so in your face and loud uh, that it eventually was a character um, in play off of off of the heel that you think that I am. I say, okay, if you think I'm this guy, well, let's have fun with it. Controversy creates cash. Eric Bischoff wrote a book about it. Well, here's <laughs> me flipping the middle finger for the first time ever because if the world knows for six years, despite your preconceived notions of me being a heel, I never said a bad word on TV in my life. And it meant a lot to me not to. It meant a whole lot to me. I would find out ways. If they wrote ass in my script, I would turn it into Turkish. You know, whoop behind end. You know, I, 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 it meant a lot to me. And I always think, you know, I, I look at wrestling and I say, you know, people don't understand what a cheap pop is or what working for pops is. Um, and, and, you know, the difference between chopping somebody here and woo or, you know, uh, you know, punching somebody in here and, you know, your name, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's Ric Flair got that over. That's his shit. It's cool to get woos out of a crowd, but isn't it cooler when they're saying something and you're hitting the guy? Yeah. So, so that, that, to that point, you know, um, I just, you know, I I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it, do, do you do you? It's 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 what you make it. It's as, it's as fun as you can make it. It's as difficult as you can make it, and and you could be as original as you want to be. 
And for me, I just wanted to inspire people to go out there, have the time of their life, be exactly who they are, turn that shit up to 10, as they would say. And, uh, you know, let's just, let's just let the world make up their mind about who I am. Because to me, it, it just makes me money when you talk about me as a pro wrestler. And, 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 and it doesn't bother me. It's no bad publicity. There's only one way to get bad publicity, and I've already gotten that. And I've bounced back from that. So, you know, in essence, um, if I can work the world into a tizzy, I'll do it. But you know what? At the same token, after what happened to my tag team partner, the difficulties he's going through and everything, I think that it was time for me to kind of throw it show the world a different side of me, the human side of me and, and the guy that's always with his goddaughter and his mom and his sister and his, you know, his dad and his, and his girlfriend, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not this uh, outrageous character that I played on TV. I mean, there's a, there's a way to tune that up, tune that down and I can have as much fun with it as anybody. It's just crazy to me being a fan from basically the mid eighties till now in 2019 thinking like, man, like people, now, when you're supposedly, you know, kayfabe is dead and, and the business is exposed and all this other stuff, they still can't figure you out. I just think that's so interesting that it's almost like you're like the last OG, like the last character that they're like, this guy was real, you know, literally the real one. Like, this guy was real. Oh, he's really an asshole. It, it just yeah. still kind of bothers my mind. It's almost like, what a yeah. misconception. Yeah, it's uh, I did it, man. I really, really did it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> after the Madison Square Garden thing, yeah, things that yes. uh, you know, I, I I put out a promo um, where I cursed for the first time ever. Never cursed on camera uh, up until my music, you know. Um, and so this was the first wrestling promo I ever cut uh, since the WWE, and, and I cut a promo and I cursed in it. Now, I want people to remember, I was just watching AEW, and a cheap pop is when somebody says something, uh, you know, like, like uh, go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. going to get the whole crowd to go erupt. The WWE has built up those words, and they put them in the scripts at the right moment. Because if you don't say bitch or ass on camera for five months, and then you hear it for the first time when Charlotte looks at Becky goes, you bitch. The whole crowd's going to go fucking nuts. All right? That's just how it works. So when we talk about cheap pops, you, I, I, I found it very rewarding to go out there and try to find ways to not get a cheap pop. Because if I could go out there and say, uh, New York City, you're going to get a, yeah. And I go, how's it going? Yeah, you're supposed to say terrible. They'll go, why? And I go, because you're in New York City. Boom! That's just a basic heel, you know, mm-hmm. cheap yep. pop promo. You know what I mean? Those pops are all built in. So if you if you listen to promos and you listen to, you know, guys even like our favorites, like the guy that I idolized as a kid, whoop your candy ass, you know, uh, you know, shove it sideways and stick it straight up your candy ass. I mean, that's funny. It's gonna work. It's it's cheap humor. It's cheap pop. If you watch Jerry Seinfeld. That's difficult comedy to write, man. Jerry mm-hmm. don't curse. You know what I'm saying? Jerry don't curse. And when I look back at the at, at, at the long laundry list of people um, who had chants and had things said in the crowd, and we got two words for you and stuff like that, um, I can honestly look at it and say to myself that 
uh, you know, I, I did it, and I, and I didn't do it in a cheap way. I put the work in uh, with the pen to figure out how to say things and do things and make the facials and get the reactions without having to go that route. So when I did finally go that route, uh, it got crazy bad press. <laughs> hmm. I finally cursed, and I called everybody pussies. And you would be absolutely surprised, of course, when I curse or say something wrong, then I, I look like the biggest bad guy in the history of bad guys. Uh, I knew that that would probably be the reaction, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, initially um, I, I wasn't I wasn't set to come into any promotion and have a wrestling match based on what I did at Madison Square Garden. I didn't have any conversations about such. But I do know that there were some promoters and some people and some wrestling fans that were truly worked. I mean, between that and the Madison Square Garden invasion, uh, you know, I, I don't know that there's been a wrestler, you know, in the past between Survivor Series, Madison Square Garden, the Joey Janela thing, uh, who can get the Internet a buzz and, and, and working people into a tizzy quite like my dumbass can at <laughs> It is crazy that they're able to do that. And the Survivor Series thing, I mean, for whatever reason, that was just perfect timing and stuff. And I just thought that was such a great move and such great publicity, but it definitely set the Internet abuzz. Yeah. No, so it's, 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 it's you know, it's myths in real life and fake life, man. If you got the boss to do something like that, you know, people are going to think you're crazy. Do you want to fuck with crazy or not? I don't know. <laughs> it's pro wrestling man it's pro wrestling is what it is you know like i said to people when i showed up that day they're like you're going into business for yourself is a big thing that the wwe will say to, say to talent say, don't go into business for yourself you're you want to go into business for yourself you're you're you know not a team player but you know what wrestling's an individual fucking sport boy mm-hmm. uh, and yep. and there's multiple places to go do it and if you don't want to go into business for yourself and you want to suck the corporate teeth and ride that fucking wave and, and hope that you climb that ladder and slip a few rungs and they get greasy and you fall back down to the bottom and they don't give a shit about you, have fun. Um, uh, that's never been my M.O. I've always loved myself. My best friends, you know, that I lived with, uh, you know, during my run in the WWE from high school. Yeah, you know, I have roommates from high school um, that I still live with now um you know i have a mom and a dad and a goddaughter that meant more to me in the world to get home and spend time with her so you know my priorities were different i'm not going to go in there and you know worry about the storyline for the next six months i'm going to show up you're going to hand me that script i'm going to rewrite that script to hit it with a remix as i would call it like uh you know only i could (laughs) i literally i don't think they let anybody else do that um but yeah, you know, you you gotta you gotta you gotta realize that a lot of people love the business more than they love themselves, and uh, a lot of people love the business more than they love anything. So, um, I just was at a point in my life where I, you know, I went through that phase where I I I was so passionate about um, trying to make it in pro wrestling and having that WrestleMania match, winning titles. That, um, you know, when I look at it in retrospect, like my priorities are just different now than they were then. And you were actually able to change the script. I mean, they 
don't didn't make you you know do it word for word. Obviously, you are unique and you have your own style. And well, I was like, I, I was blessed because I had NXT um, worked with Dusty Rhodes and and uh, Triple H, and they allowed me to say whatever I want. Um, and when I got brought up to the main roster, I went off my script the very first night on Raw. But the writers that I was working with, Nikki, um, they were so good to me that they. A lot of writers in the WWE would text me going into TV and send me the promo they were going to send, and I would just rewrite it and then send it back to them, and then they'd, and I'd get handed that script on, on Monday, and maybe it'd be a little different, or maybe I'd have to say things that I didn't want to say, uh, but you had to pick which hills you wanted to die on. Some nights I would go out there and say the script that they handed me word for word. Uh, that was an extremely rare occasion. I could probably count on as many times on one hand. Um Nine times out of ten, if I didn't like what they had written for me, um, I would fight tooth and nail to go change it. They would usually, nine times out of ten, they I would say eight times out of ten, they'd let me. Um, and other times, I would be pretty notorious for going off script. <laughs> I love it. Do you ever get in trouble for it? Uh, no, I got over for it. Um, <laughs> I got over in the backstage. I got over with everyone but the writers, and there was only a few writers. Um, there was a few writers in the WWE that, that when they saw that they had to write for me or whatever, um, their dick got hard because they knew that they were about to get a storyline or have some fun or put me in a hotel room with Lana and Rusev or something. You know, it, it was <laughs> they had fun with my character. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Other writers would get handed a script and say, oh, well, Enzo's going to change every word that I wrote on this script, and I already worked hard on it, and now I'm mad at Enzo. So those writers can go fuck themselves because those writers have never taken a bump in their fucking life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you ain't going to go out there and hold that microphone and say the shit yourself, okay, don't tell me to say it. Or don't tell me how to say it. And... uh you know, but then again, there's, you know, like that's some writers, man. Only some writers are like that. And there's other writers that will hand Enzo a script and be like, Enzo, you got to say this shit, bro. You got to. Please, dude. Don't make me fight with you. And I'll be like, all right, bro. I respect you, bro. You're my dog. I'll go say this. And they didn't have to fight with me about it. But there was times where I'm telling you, I fought tooth and nail to not say shit. I was like, fuck this, I'm not saying it. And I got a lot of heat for it, man. But at the same time, it, it, you know, at this point, are you, somebody telling me I was wrong? I don't know. Is any time in this, does Vince ever say anything to you? Like, oh, I don't want you saying this, I don't want you saying that. Or is he oh loving it? Like, he mean, likes it. Countless, I mean, I, you know, countless times I would knock on Vince's door and tell him I didn't like the promo or I didn't want to say this. And he would either sit there and explain to me why I was saying it, why it needed to be said. And like, a, for instance, uh, you know, Vince wanted me to, to say some real pussy-ass shit in, the, in, the, <laughs> in my mind uh, when I was coming into my first singles run. Me and Big Cass were breaking up. And Vince wanted me to go out there and apologize and cry and – I just said, to, you know, in my mind, I was like, I'm, I'm not crying. And he said, you're breaking, your girlfriend just broke up with you, and you are doing everything you could possibly do and say to get your girlfriend back. And it's kind of the way he broke it down, and he laid out the storyline for me for the next few months, which made me feel a lot better. So in that moment, you know, 
I can understand why I'm going to go out there and either say something or do something. But if you're handing me a script blind, telling me to act like this and perform this, and not telling me what I'm doing next week, then it's a very difficult place to be in many times. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And I kind of like that. And, and I'm telling you, man, they, none of these guys that you're watching on TV know what they're doing until they get to Monday Night Raw. Wow. That's not good. No, no preparation. I mean, I, I, no preparation. Uh, you, you, if you have a storyline, you'll have an idea. Um, writers will and might smarten you up, but some of them will get heat for it. And other times, writers are told to smarten you up. So, And sometimes you don't even know the difference. Uh, very kind of unorganized for such a big company. It's kind of weird that everyone is. No, kinda... they're, they're very organized, man. I, they're, they're, well, uh, as organized as you can be on the most unorganized television show in the history of TV shows. Because, I mean, you've got to remember, <laughs> how many times are we watching this and something changes either in the ring, on the fly, or right before the curtain? Yeah. That's you know, true. That, are you calling that organized? I mean, guys get hurt too. You know, shit gets wild. You know, and, and you got to make other plans. You know, guys call in sick or, you know, or don't show up or whatever. You know, you just don't know. And I like that Vince does explain it to you, not just like throw you out. Like, you're doing what I tell you to do and whatever. I like that he actually will sit there and give you the time and explain it to you. I mean, that's pretty good of him. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, Working with Vince was very, very weird for me. Give me one second. So Vince, uh, when I first met Vince, he, I didn't know if he knew who I was or not. Me and Big Cass went to uh, SmackDown in... Washington, D.C., while we were in NXT, we drove our own cars out to Maryland in hopes to get, you know, a look while we were in NXT. We wanted to make it to the main roster. Michael Hayes told us to go sit in Gorilla while Raw was about to start. Vince McMahon walked through the curtain, saw us sitting in Gorilla, which is, you know, closed quarters. Only the guys who were going out there on TV in the next seg or the following seg on deck are getting ready to go through the curtain where Vince is right on the other side of the curb when you come through. Well, Vince walks in and goes, who the fuck are you guys? We were like, what the hell? <laughs> like, get the fuck mm. out. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> First time I ever met Vince McMahon, that's what he does. And then I look over and I see Michael Hayes dying laughing. So we got ripped by Vince the first time we met him. Because <laughs> that awesome. dude, I didn't, after that, when I saw him, I would walk up to him, shake his hand, Maybe hit a foot shuffle and keep walking. <laughs> uh, and that went on for probably the first year of my career. Um, I can't really pinpoint instances for the first year where, uh, you know, I had to talk to him about something. I just usually did what I was told to do. Or I took it up with the writer or Hunter. Um, and... You know, uh, basically what happened was when me and Big Cass broke up, right before we went to break up um, is when 
our storyline started picking up a shit ton of steam. Who was the mystery attacker attacking Enzo backstage? Well, when that storyline started picking up steam, we started getting attention and talking about the breakup. I started talking to Vince more because our segment ended up being the number one seg of the entire year um, in 2017 when we broke up. Uh, so after that seg, when we broke up and I told him I wanted to go to 205 Live, I had a meeting with him about my music, about 205 Live, about Conor McGregor, and about Rey Mysterio. And this was all towards the 205 Live thing. And after that, um, you know, I, I had an, uh, I had an opportunity to work with, you know, uh, the cruiserweights and stuff like that. But um, I just kept getting bigger opportunities on live events and on um, TV. And the more opportunity I was getting, the more I needed to talk to Vince. Because back when I was Enzo working the tag team stuff, the tag team division ain't ain't much in the WWE main roster. Like, storyline-driven, they're not in the main event. Right. Me and Cass were intertwined in main events with John Cena and The Shield and people uh, in dark segs and and, in matches and stuff. But Vince more or less less would grab my opponent while I was out there Right before I went through the curtain, my relationship for the first year was he would tell whoever my opponent was to give me a good boot to the face. And he apparently hmm. loved to watch me get broke kicked. So, uh, I don't know, dude. I, I didn't talk to him much I just that first hmm. year. I just got kicked in the face, and then I always took it like a G. And when I came through the curtain, I never complained. And he thought he, he loved that shit. So, you know, I got beat up one time real bad by Rusev and Jinder, and I had a bad injury from it, and I didn't complain, and I showed up to work, and he liked me for it because uh, after that he started giving me the push and stuff. And, uh, you know, you just got to kind of prove that you're mentally tough and you're physically tough and go through hell for maybe a year and make the company a bunch of money for then all of a sudden the door flies open for Vince and you can talk to him. I love that, uh, you know, you're not going to complain or a guy injured, you're not going to say anything because, you know, it's pretty tough of you. And that's kind of the wrestling business for you. You got to, you know, put up or shut up kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you for six years I was in the WWE, I never missed a single match uh, or a weekend. For never called out sick, never missed a flight, never missed a day. Uh, always made it to the show. So uh, that goes really far with Vince. That's a big thing. If you're a guy trying to make it to the WWE and you get there, just never call out sick. As far as like a return to the WWE, you always hear rumors, you always read the internet, we see it's on the table, people are asking Triple H about it on conference calls. Is there an open door back to WWE? Do you want to go back to WWE? What's kind of the story with WWE and you? Um, I have no desire to uh, go back to WWE. I, re- I really, really don't. Um, it, will that change potentially? Who, who the hell knows? I mean, like I said, if you would have told me a year ago, would you even be talking to Cass? I would have told you a year ago that AEW wouldn't have happened. You know, mm. so mm-hmm. there's a revitalization in pro wrestling, and it's all around us. I think the most intriguing part of pro wrestling for me right now is I'm running my own show on November 23rd. Uh, and uh, I'm partnering with uh, guys. It's really, you know, it's 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 
the store horsemen in the comedy store in Los Angeles. They're a group of guys who love pro wrestling and adopted me as their wrestling buddy. Uh, so I had all access to the comedy store when I was in Los Angeles um, for two years in the WWE, and I would use that opportunity as much as I can to learn from the great comics uh, as I was working a microphone myself so often. I learned a lot from comedian Tony Hinchcliffe. And comedian Tony Hinchcliffe is one of the best roasters in the world. He's roasted Snoop Dogg. He's roasted so many famous celebrities. Um, and, you know, he wrote a movie with Snoop Dogg. He's a great guy. He's a great friend of mine. And these guys in the store horsemen are such avid wrestling fans. When I said to them, how do you feel about running the first ever pro wrestling show in the comedy store, the world-famous comedy store with Jerry Seinfeld, Dave Chappelle, Richard Pryor, you know, Dom Rickles' name is written on the wall. They, they, you know, were quenching at the, at the, at the thought of it. They, you know, they, they, and, and, you know, we quenched their thirst with this one. So November 23rd will be the first ever Storcade. Um, and the Storcade right now has Pentagon Jr., Ray Phoenix, David Arquette, Enzo Amore, and Brian Tillman Jr. booked on it with some more names to come. Um, and it'll have a 16-by-16 16 16 wrestling ring. And here's the premise of it. Now, we watch the WWE, okay? So we understand what scripted wrestling is. Um, and some of it, you know, obviously takes extreme talent, and a lot of it's ad-libbed, and it's called on the fly. But I want to take pro wrestling back to the roots in which I watch it, in which I love it. Um, people don't know this about me, but I, I'm a big fan of, you know, uh, old wrestling. Not Nothing new, but... I watch. I have a hard drive, and if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see that I'm constantly posting videos of me watching wrestling. Um, I watch a hard drive that has 1979 TV all the way up to 1992 with every single television match from every promotion across the board at that time. Wow. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. So this wrestling match that we're going to be doing at the Comedy Store, um, we are going to be four people in one locker room four people in another and we're going to let the fans randomly decide who they want to see get in the ring basically um and guys are going to call matches on the fly and they're going to have 10 to 15 minutes on the clock as many falls as you can get in that time and if you're a guy like enzo amore and you wrestle ray phoenix and you've never wrestled it before anything can happen if you're a guy like ray phoenix and you wrestle pentagon jr you're probably going to tear the house down this is awesome. This sounds very cool. Is it going to be streaming, or you get, it's one of those things where you got to be there live? You got to get some tickets. Got to be, be there live. You got to be there live. It's at the Comedy Store on Sunset Boulevard. It'll only hold about 200, 250 seats, and they'll be pressed right up against the ring. We'll be, uh, you know, shooting this whole thing. We'll see what we do with it. Um, but it's a great opportunity for fans to come participate in the theatrics of pro wrestling matches that they're so familiar with. When you see a big guy run off the ropes and he runs into another big guy and neither one of them fall, you get that ooh Mm -hmm. crowd, right? Yep. And then when he does it again, we get that ooh. When a guy locks up and and, and he pushes the other guy to the ground, you know, that's old school storytelling, okay? And that's what I want to take wrestling back to. I loved storytelling. In the WWE on Monday Night Raw, it's very different. You're handed a script. You're told exactly what they want out of you, and you've got to go deliver that thing. And I prided myself in delivering that thing. Whether the fans thought I was a good wrestler or not, I knew what I was asked to do, and I performed that, that task. 
this is going to be different. This is going to afford me the opportunity to actually wrestle, have fun, and, and, and do what I like to do based off the crowd and the reactions. You so got me thinking. By wrestling you got me thinking you. glory days. Yeah. yeah, glory days, man. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for me right now, um, I'm very content with my with my opportunity to get out in the world. So I was just at Rolling Loud two days ago in New York City, um, and and I had a I had a life goals crowning achievement moment in my life. I cried tears of joy for probably the first time in the history of my life when I met someone. And I'll tell you what happened. I made a decision. I was at Rolling Loud and the hottest act in the world, Travis Scott, was performing. But he was performing at the same time as Wu-Tang. And I said, fuck this, I'm going to Wu-Tang. And I left all my friends behind and my brother who was filming Rolling Loud. My brother shoots music videos for all these famous artists. And I have a lot of friends in the music world and I was backstage and I was hanging out. and I could have done anything I wanted. I wanted to go see Wu-Tang. And I had yet to meet Wu-Tang. But the thing about me is I don't like to meet my heroes because I've found that a lot of them in the wrestling world and in life have let me down. Well, not this time. I was standing there on the side of the stage when the show was over, and all of a sudden I just hear, Yo, Enzo! And I look over, and it's fucking Method Man. (laughs) Method Man knows who I am, and that was enough for me, bro. I I said, bro, can I take a picture? He took a picture with me. I probably could have went and hung out with him. And I looked at my girl, and I was like, I don't need anything more than this. Let's go. And I just left. <laughs> that was it, man. I was like, I knew I made it. I was like, Method Man knows who I am. I'm a huge Wu-Tang fan, so that meant the world to me. That's awesome, and you get out of there on a high note, too. You can't get any better yeah, than that. You, know, you can't get out. Yep. I'm good at leaving on a high note, you know what I mean? <laughs> that is I took awesome. The title, I took the title at Rolling Loud, and I left. That's awesome. <laughs> But, uh, you know, for me, the pro wrestling world is extremely good to me. It's extremely intriguing. I still have the opportunity to get out there and see fans. And I've taken all of Big Cass's bookings that he's been, he was booked to do, and I've taken that opportunity to grab the microphone and let the world, uh, you know, see Eric. Uh, you know, and that, and that wrestling world is sometimes small, you know. And, and these gracious opportunities that I'm getting in small small venues to talk to fans, I mean, I had a kid come up to me just two weeks ago at a Maryland wrestling event I went to. And I had been at one uh, Maryland wrestling event three weeks prior. And the kid came to me and he said, I was at the pro wrestling show three weeks ago and you were speaking about mental health and depression and anxiety. And I want you to know that I was extremely depressed, extremely touched by those words. And in the past three weeks, I've become a pro wrestler. And I'm here today booked on this card. And here's a picture of me dressed as Cass and my buddy dressed as Enzo three years ago. And I thought to myself, this guy, he's like six foot eight. He's got every tool there is to make it in pro wrestling. And he just might. But the fact that I could just inspire one person to do that. One is more than none. And I'll take it. And I am extremely, extremely grateful for the fans that have been coming out in support of big Cass. So it means a lot to that is awesome. You continue to inspire. Very, very cool stuff. And, you know, Storcade will be definitely awesome. But please, you know, before we let you go, where can everybody find you? I know you mentioned Instagram, but what's your uh, social media? What's your Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff? So you can find me at Real One, R-E-A-L number one. Um, 
and I go by Enzo now. Uh, you can find my music under a real one, though. Enzo is for wrestling. You know, if you see me in a wrestling ring, you can still call me Enzo, or you can call me real one, or you can call me champ. Awesome stuff. And, you know, one final thing I want to say here, and, and you know you're a good guy because you're a fellow Jersey guy. That's why I know I like you. <laughs> yeah, baby. Jersey through <laughs> and through. Enzo, thank you so much for all the time you gave us. Great stuff. Really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with everything in the future. Continue to inspire. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, make sure I tune in with this podcast there. Thank you, guys. This podcast was a presentation of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire.